are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. God has laid something on my heart today for someone in this place, and I believe if you are willing to accept it, it can be you. I want to open up with a couple verses here in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. It reads, and they conquered him, being Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Mark chapter 5, verse 2, and it says, and he went, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Just to, you know, just so you guys are all feeling comfortable, I'm not talking about demon possession today. We can relax. But just to paraphrase this story, Jesus encounters this man and he casts out the demons into some pigs who jump into the water. But really what I want to focus on is verse 19 and it says, And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Today, I like us to grasp the thought of what Jesus asks of us after we are delivered, after we've had our breakthrough, and after we've overcome our obstacle. Will you share your story? Can we pray for a moment for this message today, God, that it would resonate in our hearts and our minds? In Jesus' name, we come before you, God. We come before you, Lord Jesus, humbly. I pray, God, that you would use me as your vessel today, Lord, to speak confidence with your spirit, Lord, which you have laid upon my heart for this church in this moment. I pray that you would speak to someone directly, Lord, and they would receive what you have to say today and apply it to their life, Lord God, and be changed and moved, Lord Jesus, by you and your grace and your mercy that you continue to give us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. You may be seated. As a child, most kids would usually hear a parent tell them or an adult tell them to share with others. You may have a toy that you loved so much and that you really enjoyed, and then you'd have a sibling or a a, a cousin or a friend come in and they would start to play with that toy and it would make you so upset and hurt. And you would be upset and mad, and then that parent or adult would come up to you and says, Anthony, you have to share with others. And growing up with three brothers, it was pretty pretty much given that we all had to share. And just because you're forced to share does not mean that you like to share. I remember it was probably my 13th birthday or so, and on my birthday, my mom bought me a brand new basketball goal for my birthday. And guys, it was a nice one. It was a gorilla basketball goal. It had a glass backboard. It was the coolest thing. We got rid of our portable goal. And, you know, I was happy and excited, but it didn't take long for me to realize that all my brothers just got a brand new basketball goal for my birthday. From the moment we are little children, we are told to share, share, and share. But in reality, most of us, even adults in here, don't like to share. 
And if you want to be honest and, and you want to test that, why don't you let your wife or your husband or your child eat off of your food during lunch today? <laughs> it's not natural for us to share. People like to have ownership and control of our lives. And we live in a social media world culture today where we are desperate to promote me, myself, and I. Experts say that of all the photos posted on Instagram, and I know a lot of you adults are on Facebook, it could be the same there, but on Instagram, one-third of the photos posted are selfies. Statistics show that last year alone, America spent more than $16 billion on cosmetic surgery, cosmetic plastic surgery. We care about ourselves greatly. No doubt about that. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking care of yourself and presenting yourself in a decent, orderly way. However, I do fear with doing everything we can to look as perfect and as spotless as we should portray ourselves, we are covering up things that make us look human and vulnerable. With a show of hands, why don't you raise your hand if you have a scar or a couple scars? You look around the room, there is a lot of individuals who have at least a scar on their body. Like me, many of you have some outward or emotional sign of pain. And the definition of a scar is a mark left on someone following damage of some kind. You have scars that tell a story. Scars that are reminders of something unpleasant that took place and potentially shaped you to who you are today. Some people have really cool scars and others, like me, do not. It would be difficult for you to see from where you're sitting today, but I have a scar on my left hand. And I wish I could say there was a really cool story behind this scar. I wish I could say I was walking my dog, Gage, and we happened to come across a house that was burning down, and I saved some babies and some puppies. In my heroic effort, I just happened to get burned on the way out, but that's not the case. I wish I could have a cool story like David where he was fighting off a bear and a lion in protection of my family and my possessions, you know. But that's really not the case. I wish I could tell you there's a cool story behind this scar, but sometimes scar stories are really boring. And you happen to accidentally burn yourself pulling pizza rolls out of the oven. <laughs> now, your scar story may not sound as dramatic as mine, or maybe your scars are much worse. But maybe the thought of you even sharing your previous hurts and pains make, make you cringe with fear. So you cover them up and hope that no one will notice and you hide it deep down inside and act like everything's just dandy. And it's hard for, us to some, for, hard for us to see our scars as victories because they are reminders of a time that we were in pain or discomfort and we needed a healing. However, at some point, one or another, you were healed. And you were delivered from that mark or delivered from that wound that you had. And the scar does not hurt as bad as anymore, and it, if not, it would be considered a wound. The same can be said about his miracle as well. 
The foundation of a miracle is faith. But before we can experience a miracle in our lives, there's at some point a time or place where we were in need of something or we had a wound that needed healed. Throughout the Bible, we could find God mending the wounds and his people and performing miracles because there was a need. Noah needed salvation and God gave him instructions on how to build a boat. Abraham needed an offspring, a promise for the next generation, and God gave him a son. And Isaac, Moses needed an escape from Pharaoh, and God provided a Red Sea to part. The children of Israel needed food, and God sent them manna. Daniel needed safety, surrounded by hungry lions, and God shut their mouths. You needed a financial blessing, and God provided you the sufficient amount of funds. You needed peace, and God took away your burdens, you need a grace, and God gave you forgiveness of your sins. Each miracle takes place because there is at first a struggle, there is at first a trial, there is at first a need or a wound that needs healed. And from the first downfall of man, this world has needed the miracle of Jesus. When Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, the rebellion allowed sin to enter into this earth, causing a ripple effect to take place. The sin separated man from the presence of God. It brought physical and spiritual death, and it also gave man's earthly dominion and authority over to Satan. And from that moment forward, the world was in need of a Savior, but we had a God who had a plan. Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and, it, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The Lord, the Lord told the serpent that you will bruise the Savior's heel, but in the end, he will bruise your head. And God saw the need for the wound of this world, and by his grace and his mercy and his loving kindness, he wrapped himself in flesh as a living sacrifice he was beaten, he was tortured, he was bruised and wounded for our transgressions and had his place upon the cross as a sacrificial lamb paying the price for all of our sins so humanity would not have to. And in this life, when we think of death, we think of it as a place where hope and life ends, but it's actually the place of death on this earth where redemption begins. And this death is where faith begins and it's death where the message of salvation begins, and it's through Jesus' death that we have life. See, in order to experience this new life, this redemption, this salvation and transformation, we must present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. And at the place of laying down our own selfish ambitions and picking up our own cross is where Jesus then partners with us. It is a place of ending that we find new beginning. It is a place of hopelessness that we find happiness. It is a place of sorrow that we find true joy. It is a place of death that we find revival in our lives. And if you have not yet experienced the transforming love of Christ, and if you have not repented of your sins or been baptized in Jesus' name or received the gift of the Holy Ghost, you can experience real change today. Amen. Can we just give God thanks for a moment for the cross? Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Thank you for your love for this world, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your love for us, Lord God.
After Jesus rose from the grave, we find him meeting with his disciples. And before he gives them the great commission to seek and save the lost, he shows up in John chapter 20, verse 19. And it reads, on the evening of the day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were uh, for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and he stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. The disciples had not seen Jesus since his gruesome death. They had heard of his resurrection, but they had, the last time they saw him, he was mangled and lifeless on the cross. And out of nowhere, Jesus shows up and he doesn't look like the man who was covered in blood. He doesn't look like the man who was beaten and crushed. He doesn't look like the man full of pain. He looks like his normal self, except there was something different about him. Verse 20 reads, and he said that the disciples are glad when they saw the Lord. He pulls up his sleeves and he shows them his scars. He was not ashamed of his scars. He was not ashamed of the thing that killed him. Instead, it's the first thing he does when he sees the disciples. He said, peace be with you, and he shows them in confidence, here are my scars. And it says the disciples were glad. The NIV version says they were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. His scars tell a story of love. His scars tell a story of redemption. His scars tell a story of hope and resurrection power. His scars remind us today that he felt pain as we feel pain. His scars remind us that he suffered as we once suffered. His scars remind us that most of all, he was human. There's something about scars that make a person more human. Everyone here today came because we have a need from God. We all have flaws and we all have experienced pain in some way or another, yet sometimes we're reluctant to share those experiences with each other because it's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to tell the bold truth and admit of our shortcomings. It's hard because it's uncomfortable and it's risky, and yet God's hope is that he can use us not just to share the gospel, but to share our testimony that God has given with us, given to us, to others. God wants to use each and every one of us in this room as this vessel today. Every single one of us in here has a testimony that God has given you. And if even it's just a breath, breath in your lungs, it is more than enough to glorify God. Jesus tells, you, tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And it's great to have a light burning inside of us, but we must realize that the light that we have is not meant just for us. It's meant to be shared for this world. What good is a light if we hide it from others? When I think about the gospel, I think about Jesus' scars, but I also think of another story found in 2 Kings there's a story in 2 Kings about the city of Samaria that was under siege. The Syrian army was not allowing this city to receive any food or goods or anything at all coming in or out. 
And this city was in a bad famine. They were eating things that they should not eat. And the king was tearing his robe out of agony and stress and hurt. And then you have the lowest of the low. You have these four lepers. If you don't know what leprosy is, it's a skin disease that causes your hand to look like there's scars or your body to look like it's scars and, and covered in wounds. And anytime a leper would come around, they would scream, unclean, unclean. And they would scatter away from them. And in this city, these four lepers, it got so bad that they kicked them out of the city. They said, we don't even want you here. And these four lepers are walking around and figuring out, trying to figure out how we are going to eat. And they say, you know what? Let's go to the army. Let's go to their base and hopefully You know, they'll give us some food. If we happen to die, then we die. But I'm going to at least try to go find some food. And as they're on their way to these tents where the army was staying, uh, there happened to be a man, uh, one of the lepers, who stepped on a stick and it made a noise. And, And as it made a noise, there was a guard on the outside who was protecting. He was protecting what their base was. And it says that, He starts to get scared and he runs away. He's like, I'm not getting paid enough for this. I need to get out of here. And he he starts to run and he trips over a rock. And as he trips over this rock, this boulder begins to roll and this man begins to run with this boulder. And another guy hears that and he says, that sounds like a horse. And he said, I'm out of here. And so now you have this guy running and another guy running. And before you know it, you have 10 guys running and it sounds like there's a chariot coming. So the Bible doesn't say all of that, but it does say in 2 Kings verse 7, verse 6, for the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and horses and the sound of a great army so that they said to one another, behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the kings of the Egypt kings of Egypt, to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. And you have these four lepers who just happen to show up. There's a sword. There's a shield. Hey, there's food on the table. Look, there's tons of money and gold and silver And look, there's another tent that's full of food and money and gold and silver. And they start to grab this money and they start to bury it. And they're living like kings, eating, just enjoying life. But then it happens. These four lepers who are wounded, who are kicked out of the city, who are told their scars are unclean, who are told that their lives are unpleasant to even be around. It happens. Compassion. Compassion as they look back at the city who is hurting and in a famine. And they have all of these lavishes and riches and food sitting by them. Verse 9, it says, And they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is the day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light punishment will overtake us. 
Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. And when I think about what God has called us to do and the great commission that he's challenged us to do, to be a light and share his love with others, we cannot, we can sometimes be selfish with this light. Like the story of the Good Samaritan, it is not our place to just keep walking by and act like people don't matter and that they don't have a need. It is our testimony of Jesus Christ and his goodness, and it is not just for us to hold on to. It's not just for us to lock into a box and keep it for ourselves when we need a blessing, but it is for everyone. See, God wants to use you and your testimony to be a beacon of hope to others. He wants to use you to be the representation that Christ has on this earth so that they, when they see you, they will see him. And when they see you, they'll say, I want what that person has. And I want what this person is sharing with others. One of the most incredible miracles that took place in the Bible was the resurrection of Lazarus. Lazarus was a man who Jesus loved and who he cared for. And when he died, Jesus had a need. I'm sorry, Lazarus had a need. There you go. His need was life. And Jesus came to him and he said, come out of that tomb. And he resurrected, he showed his resurrection power. And it was an incredible move. It was a credible miracle that God had performed. But there's something interesting that took place. After Lazarus' resurrection, people came from all over because of this miracle. John chapter 12, verse 9 says, When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom they raised from the dead. They wanted to see this guy. They wanted to see this walking miracle. They wanted to see this person that was dead and that was now alive again. However, not everybody was thrilled about that. Says right after in verse 10, so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well because on account of him, many Jews were going away believing in Jesus. Wouldn't that be incredible to have the lifestyle where people look and they turn away and they believe in Jesus because of the way you're living? From the moment on, they plotted to kill Lazarus, not just because he was doing wrong, but because of who he was. Lazarus was a walking testimony of God's glory. And if it had not been for Jesus, Lazarus would have been dead. And Lazarus is walking around in every interaction, every breath that he would take is giving glory to God. And from the moment Lazarus took the big breath of fresh air, Lazarus was a living testimony to him. And from then on, the devil would try to do whatever he could to destroy that testament of God. Why? Because Satan knows that there is power in a testimony. Like Lazarus, Satan wants to keep you quiet. He wants to tell you that your scars are ugly. He wants to tell you that you don't need to open up to others because you'll look foolish, that you'll look looked upon differently. And he says all of that because he is afraid of your testimony. He is afraid of because of your testimony brings life. 
and it brings hope and it brings joy and it brings peace and it brings restoration and deliverance to those around you. It is your testimony that makes you valuable to the kingdom of God. And the devil knows that and he trembles. It is your testimony that makes you dangerous. It is your testimony that makes you an overcomer. It is your testimony that makes you a threat to hell. It is your testimony that is a weapon in your voice that can share God's goodness and his grace about what he's done in your life. And when you open up your mouth and declare the goodness of the Lord, all of hell begins to shake about how he's delivered you, how he's restored you, how he has set you free from sin and how he's brought you out of bondage. Why does he shake? Because Revelations 12, 11 says, and they have conquered him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. It was not just our words. It was not just our testimony that could conquer and overcome the devil, but with our voice partnered, partnered with the blood of the lamb partner with God's grace and mercy, partner with giving glory to God. When you begin to say, I was sick, but God healed me, we conquer Satan. When you say, I was lost, but God found me, we conquer Satan. When we say, I was about to lose my life, but God saved me, we conquer Satan. You shouldn't have made it out of that car wreck. You shouldn't be sitting here in this place today. You shouldn't be you shouldn't be here at church. You should be sitting in jail. You should be doing drugs on the side of the street. You should be homeless. You should be living in fornication and adultery. But God, but God, but God, but God did a work in me that I cannot contain. He did a work in me that makes me excited to talk about his goodness and his mercy and his grace. And there's something about a testimony that brings people joy. There's something about a testimony that brings people peace and understanding. There's something about a testimony that uplifts and encourages others. It is our testimony that brings love and joy and it brings us closer to Jesus Today, I want to allow you to hear and feel and see the results of a testimony today. I have a couple individuals who are going to be joining me, uh, Dee Dee Bailey, Zach Glasgow, and Kristen Brown, and I want to invite the musicians and singers to, to make their way up as they come up here. And I, Can we just give them a hand clap of praise for what they're about to do in this moment that can seem somewhat scary to share your testimony but there is a good work that's going to take place from it. Praise the Lord, church. So as a young man, I fought many challenges. My parents were divorced when I was just a young child, and that really, really took a toll on me as a young man. You know, like growing up, you know, my dad kind of lived far away, so that was kind of difficult because it was kind of hard to be with both parents, and it created a lot of challenges growing up. And my mom struggled financially growing up, and we didn't have a lot. We struggled, and she worked really hard every day to try to provide for me and my brothers. And then a transition from eighth grade into senior high school, I lost two friends in eight months. One died from, uh, he played, he was trying out for the football team, and uh, he had a rare heart condition that nobody knew about, and he passed away by lifting weights at Corian High School. And later on that summer, my mom came home and told me that my friend Ian Williams had committed suicide over bullying, mm. and it just took me by storm. I didn't really understand, didn't understand why God would put me through that, 
and I challenged, challenged God, and I was very upset at God. And I used to spend a lot, I spent a lot of times on my cousin's house. I basically lived there. I tell you guys, I was there every single weekend. And I would wake up every once in a while. I'd wake up really early in the morning. And it would be five o'clock in the morning. I would just, my body would just wake up. And I would leave my cousin's room. And I would see a light on under the door. And, and it was my grandma's room. And I would, I would open the door. And there my grandma would be at five o'clock in the morning being grounded in the word of God. Hmm. Reading the Amen. word every single morning. If ever I ever woke up, she was in the word. And she was the backbone, and she, she would say, Zach, she would challenge me, Zach, you've got to get in church. Yeah. You've got to get right with God. You've got to come. So one, one Sunday, it was Christmas Day in 2011, me, my two brothers, and our friend TJ all came to church. And, and, that, that, and we, were, we all came that Sunday, and we never turned back since. And, and April 7th of 2012, we were all baptized in the only saving name, Amen. given among men by Amen. which we must be saved. And then later on that year, we had fall retreat of September 19th, 2012. And I remember that message because Anthony Henson preached it. I'm sorry. I don't remember a word you said. I remember one thing. And he said, look, we were on top of a mountain. He said, look around you. So we looked. And he said, never forget anything. Never forget what's around you right now. I looked at everybody around me. And I remember they had this tree fell over. We're all sitting on things, sitting on, you know, logs and stuff. And. And he wanted to alter call, and Brother Ellis walked up to me, and he prayed me through the Holy Ghost. And I'll never forget that moment. My Amen. life was Amen. changed forever. Amen. And now God has been really good to me, guys. Like, he has been so good Amen. that now I'm active in my church. I'm active in my youth group. I teach Bible studies frequently. Amen. I help lead in Verge. And I'm Amen. in my third year of purposes, too, pursuing everything that God created That's me to cool. be. Thank Amen. you. God bless. Can we give it up for God's testimony? God is doing a great work in Zach's life, and we love and appreciate him. I have a peanut gallery right here, so um, I really never thought I'd be up here. So thank you for inviting me, Anthony. Um, through my childhood, I experienced a lot of trauma in my teen years, and by the time I was 21, I had moved 21 times. I felt broken, unworthy. Um, I would feel lonely in a crowded room. I felt unlovable, and I was convinced I was crazy. And I was led to believe these things, and I had zero self-worth, and I treated myself as such. And it led me to a deep depression and a battle with anxiety and fear that left me paralyzed, and ultimately a darkness that led to more trauma, more pain, And I hurt a lot of people along the way. The stress took over in such a way that with multiple illnesses, I nearly died. And it was just three years ago this last week when I fell ill. And I knew at that time there was nothing left to try because I had done it all. And it failed. So I knew faith was the only thing I had. I wasn't going to make it, and I I didn't feel like I was worthy to even pray, so I would plea to God, and and all I could say was just, make me the woman I'm supposed to be. I knew enough to to plea. So I had been trying a Methodist church, which is what I was raised, um, for five years, but I saw their faces, I knew there had to be more, and they had been my rock, and I needed to be theirs. So I began the search for a new home. 
And a friend had actually told me about Calvary eight years ago, and I thought, there is no way I am stepping in here. No. I had heard too many stories. But on September 9th last year, I actually, I turned 40, and I made the commitment that whatever it took, and I did not know what it was going to take, that I would do whatever I could to live the life that God intended me to live. And 9-10, I was here the next day. It was Friends Day. The same friend invited me to come in. And it was the first time in my life I actually didn't feel shame, and I had no idea why. And it didn't matter with whom I shared my story with in these walls. I was accepted. I was not judged, which was a first for me. And I knew at that point I had nothing left to give, so I had to surrender all. So truly, this last year, I've seen that the impossible is possible. But it's only when God's in the center. And every time something's happened and I've pushed him away from the center, man, life has fallen apart. But it was just like what Anthony was mentioning about, you know, the enemy being afraid of your story. It was up until the moment that I was baptized that the enemy tried to talk me out of that. I mean, I was literally convinced that when I was in that water, it was going to turn into a fiery mud pit. I really had just, I had totally turned myself into believing that. I mean, I even said it to Sister Reed. I said, I can't do this. But here I am. Standing here with the Holy Ghost. I came to realize that day just how strong I was, how strong I am, and that I was meant to make a difference. Not just survive, but to live. But he tried to stop me that last second from receiving that grace. So I know now that I'm worthy because of his grace and mercy. I'm going to be loved eternally, accepted. And not only that, I have learned that I am capable of loving at such a level that I never even knew was impossible. And I'm living a life that I couldn't even imagine. Amen. And I'm seeing the impact in my own children. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you are in your walk with God. You can make a difference in others. Anthony, in all of his own brokenness and anger, had just that tiny mustard seed that Tom was talking about to lead me here. So I just ask for everyone that underestimates their power and their ability to make a difference, stop questioning yourself because... It truly does just take the smallest step. And I am proof of that, that great changes come from that. Amen. Amen. Can we give it up for Kristen Brown and her testimony? Yeah, this is an interesting perspective. My name's Dee Dee and I'm an addict and an alcoholic. You didn't know that was coming out of my mouth at the pulpit. Come on. I can't have a testimony without Joe and Sam, so I have to have them come stand with me. Amen. Amen. (laughs) 
I'll spare you all the gory details. Pastor Pasley said, don't tell me. I don't want to know. Let's just move forward. So um, this is Joe, my youngest. This is Sam, my eldest. Um, We got here because you guys loved us without even knowing it. We were in a desperate situation with their father's illness, and the Calvary Church brought us turkey dinner. Alyssa Reed came to my house with Pastor Pasley and brought us dinner and were kind to us. Your church bought us, um, did I say Christmas dinner? I meant Thanksgiving dinner. Brought us Christmas that year. Ken was unable to work. We had no money. I was trying to work. I was trying to take care of these guys and take care of Ken. Subsequently, Ken died and um, desperate. I was a desperate mother. And Joe was giving me a little hard way to go. Uh, Well... Which led us to the Calvary Academy and my enchantment with Anthony Henson. (laughs) I didn't know there was another name besides Anthony Henson for three years, I'm sure. Uh, That led to Joe and Sam. Sam embraced this church as if he'd been here all his life. They led me here. They are my inspiration. They are my saving grace in the depths of my despair. Your children can bring you up out of the miry pit just like a pastor can. I believe that we were brought here for freedom, for peace, that Charlotte's Holy Ghost presence was bright to me. And I was like, what is with that lady? She is too friendly, too nice, too pretty, and I don't think she wears a lick of makeup. What is up with that lady? So we got baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All together as a family. They'd already had the Holy Ghost. It took me a little while longer because I was a little bit shy of speaking in another tongue. And uh, Pastor prayed me through right here on this corner. Amen. Jesus' name, Anthony, was sitting uh, behind this tree here, and it looked like he was Nicodemus up in the tree. It was the most precious moment in my life. I love my Anthony Henson. When we came here, we were broken and broken. We no longer live in poverty. We no longer feel the weight of the evil one. We are free to worship. We are free to give. We have a sense of peace that comes from no understanding of our own, but only from the the blood of Jesus, the lamb that walks beside us all the time. And I just want to give Pastor Pasley all the honor and praise for having us and uh, probably saving me with his kindness and his dedication to time to do a Bible study. He was something else and his dna runs through all of you and we are recipients of the love that you have for jesus thank you thank you jesus can we all stand and just 
put our hands together and appreciate these three individual testimonies of what God's done in their lives. When treating a physical injury, injury, injuries properly, it is critical to aiding the body's natural healing process. If the body is not taken care of properly, it can lead to infection and even further damage than has already been done. And the purpose of your Band-Aid that you have today, it's for protection. It's there to protect the wound and the scab from friction, bacteria, damage, and dirt, and dirt. Thus, the healing process of the body is less disturbed. And in a spiritual sense, we have been called not to heal the body. That is God's part. God heals the wounds, and He's only capable of doing so. However, we are called to be the spiritual band-aids to comfort to encourage, to strengthen, to provide the proper care so that God can complete the healing process in a person's life. Our prayers, our testimonies, our love can be the catalyst for our coworkers, our classmates, our life groups, our friends and our families that will draw them closer to God. And today, if you're in need of a miracle, if you're in need of a healer, I challenge you with this question. John chapter 5 verse 6 says, the lame man sat at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus saw him lying there and he knew he had already been there a long time. He said, do you want to be healed? This man was lame for 38 years, the Bible says, and sometimes we can grow accustomed to the pains in our lives, the wounds that are just there always. Maybe it's a knee pain, maybe it's a shoulder pain, maybe it's a bitterness that's been lingering around for many years, and we grow accustomed to what has been lingering around in our lives. And I came here today to ask you, if you're in need of a healing, if you're going through a trial, a situation, a hurt or pain, there is a God who wants to touch your life and bring healing to you. There is a God who is able to meet your needs, a God whose love is always available, and he wants to take your burdens and your weight and give you a better life with him if you allow him to. Today, if you're willing to do more, if you're willing to get in the mess of people's lives and demonstrate true compassion, if you're willing to further your ministry and have an impact on those around you to see your friends, your family, and people's lives changed, there is a God that wants to use you. And at this moment, as the musicians begin to play and the singers begin to sing, I ask you to take a step of faith. Take a step of faith to this altar where God can give you the healing that you need to heal those wounds so that they remain scars. And if you have scars, that it will inspire you to take those hurts, those pains, those trials that you went through and share it with others about good God's goodness and what he's brought you through. So why don't you take a step out of your pew at this moment as the musicians begin to play and the singers begin to sing and lift up your hands and make your way towards God as he is bringing you to a closer relationship with him.
This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.